who's in who's in the the nineties? Alec one? Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, we need someone better than Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Radio Drone. It's an ass-kicking week here in Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Steroid Ape himself, the Pete. He, he certainly is. And who's not here is, you know what, it seems like Pete, did Cecil piss off a weather wizard in an, in an online game or something? Because he has a couple of weeks of Nor'easter where he has no power, and now they're under a blizzard and he has no power. Who knows? Someone so, in his town certainly did. Cecil will not be here this week, but Pete is. So, guys, what you need to do is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Tonight, we're going to talk about vigilante movies. I want to specifically leave out the Death Wish movies, because this is in honor in quotes, of the new Death Wish movie that just came out, which is god-awful, Pete. It's worse than I feared it was, because, well, it's Eli Roth. What do you expect? But I want to do a whole Death Wish retrospective, hopefully later this summer. So let's leave Death Wish out of this. But I want to talk about just vigilante movies in general, because there's a lot of them, isn't there? There certainly are. Why do you think there are, then? I mean, like, what is it? about no they're not obviously exclusive to america but it's kind of a more american style of movie making what is it about america that makes the vigilante movie so popular i think it was due to the economic state at the time i mean the reason why death wish was so popular was due to there not being a lot of law enforcement presence in New York in the, the late 70s and the early 80s. There were actually people taking to vigilante justice over that, over, you know, roving street gangs in the subways and the, the abandoned buildings and whatnot. It was, it actually was an epidemic because there, there really wasn't enough law enforcement and there were people getting uh, taken advantage of by criminals that were rising and weren't being able to be stopped by by police at the time because there just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough of a presence. So I think these vigilante justice movies were kind of a changing of the the tide. It was something that people wanted and needed at that time. So it was the it was the right move to make, I think. Okay, the movies might have been a catharsis, but this isn't the kind of thing we want in real life. Like right now in twenty eighteen, vigilantism is really looked down upon, as it should. Even go back to New York in the 1970s, although I think this is technically early 80s, but look at, like, the Bernard Getz stuff. He was, he definitely was taking a Paul Kersey note from the playbook, but he was a psychotic killer. He chased down the people who robbed him and murdered them in front of everybody else. There's a reason Bernard Getz is not a hero. So why did we make Paul Kersey one? The type of, the types of heroes we were getting. I mean, that was was in, that was the age of of Clint Eastwood. That was the age of uh, you know Bronson Stallone coming in shortly after that. This this was just the type of hero that America wanted. Uh, North America in general seemed to like that, and of course it translated very well internationally. There was just something about the 
the vengeful man with a gun that worked so well. And obviously in real life, it, it never translates as well as it does in the, in the movies, of course. I mean, especially nowadays, vigilante justice has gotten, gotten ridiculous with uh, the things like the Antifa movements and a lot of uh, misguided people, obviously, that are, that are part of Black Lives Matter. Uh, there's a lot of, um, recklessness to it. There's people that get caught up in it with a cause that made sense at first and then take it too far. That seems to be the pattern with vigilante justice in real life. Whereas in, in a film, it really is a, a genuinely virtuistic person. It's somebody who's lost everything, be it their, you know, their family, their best friend, and they, they take to the streets to, to dish out genuine justice to, to violent street gangs and, and pimps and people that are, that are in human trafficking, uh, crooked cops, things like that you you have a uh, this this vigilante character who really is making a, a difference and that uh that line tends to get blurred in in real life because it, it seems like in real life the vigilantes get very power hungry and almost become the uh the bad guys themselves through through a dis- disillusionment and that disillusionment goes towards the mental state because the, let's take batman for an example batman hates wrongdoers he hates criminals yet the things he does is criminal but he exists himself from those because of his own ego that no, no no i am above criminals but all of these other people have to be punished that's what your basic movie vigilante is you're a killer and killing is wrong except when i do it <laughs> kind of it, it depends really i mean there are there are vigilantes that uh like fictional ones that go a lot more over the top that than they need to like you have rorschach from watchmen for instance who really takes it very very far batman skirts the line of of justice of vigilante justice he tries to lock up his criminals but he's also horrifically wounding them at the same time so i almost prefer the ones that just kill the bad guys it, it almost seems weirdly more humane in a way. You know, you're just, you're putting down someone that's not fit for society anyway, rather than pointlessly trying to, to rehabilitate a murderer or a child rapist or whatever. So I'm, I'm honestly more on the side of guys like, uh, Paul Kersey or, or Frank Castle rather than Batman who will overpopulate a already overpopulated prison system. Let's stop talking about the philosophy and let's start talking about the movies. So when, when it comes to a vigilante movie, a lot of people seem to misconstrue what that is because I went and looked up list after list on the internet and there's a lot of people that have things called vigilante movies that aren't. First of all, I don't consider the rogue cop film a vigilante movie, okay? You know, the cop who just can't get the bad guy until after he's had his badge taken away and now that there's no rules, he can finally bring justice to the world. That's not a vigilante film to me. The Dirty Harrys and things like that are out with the maybe exception of Sudden Impact because he wasn't doing that as a cop. He was doing that as just it was right. Dirty Harry, maybe Sudden Impact, but other than that. So I want to leave Dirty Cop, or not Dirty Cop, Rogue Cop movies out of this. But then there's also the confusion between the revenge film and the vigilante movie. And I think that's also another line we have to look at. Just somebody who's trying to get revenge on somebody else and has to maybe go through their goons, that's not a vigilante film, is it? Can, it can turn into one. I mean, uh, Death Wish goes from a, a revenge film to a vigilante film. I mean, I don't, I don't even think he actually ends up catching the, the people who violated his family. He just completely goes after street crime as a whole. But yeah, the ones where where it's just kind of targeting somebody who's done you ill will 
and then going after them and systematically dismantling them. And after that, it's kind of it's kind of over. That's really more definitely more of a revenge film rather than a vigilante film. And there is there is a difference. I mean, if you look at a film like uh, The Exterminator, for example, that's that's a vigilante movie. Oh, that's absolutely. a guy who decides to take on all crime overall in a in a city that's ridden with it yeah because he, he actually gets the people who hurt Stephen james like they're he the gets first, them, they're, yeah, they're the, first the first two he kills and then he just you know what i'm gonna clean up the streets then he continues he decides that this is something that's been going on for too long and he goes after all street crime overall that's a vigilante movie it's usually when when revenge is acquired within like the first 20 minutes or something and then they decide let's just go full bore with this and take out all crime because there's no point and there's no point in um stopping now when there's still so many people that are getting hurt by people like this so i think that's the difference you have a revenge film that's the whole course of the film is hunting down who has done ill will to this character and then there's the ones that just continue which are very much more in the case of uh somebody like uh like the exterminator character and and other vigilante films of that cloth a lot of these lists that i saw had Kill Bill on there. And Kill Bill is right on that line because she is specifically only trying to get revenge on the couple of people who wronged her. She just has mm. to go through hundreds and hundreds of goons to do it. But she's not out there stopping street crime. She's not out there, you know, the bride isn't out there stopping liquor store robberies. So mm -mm. I don't consider Kill Bill a vigilante film. It's a revenge film, but not That's a vigilante a revenge film. That's a revenge film for sure. Look, look at something like the Walking Tall movies. Now nah, I'm not talking about the one with The Rock and Neil McDow. I mean the original Walking Tall movies. That was originally one man versus one man's organization. But then it kind of became a vigilante franchise after that, didn't it? Mm -hmm. it yeah. Even if it started it. as just a revenge film. Some of them do kind of turn into that where you, you will – like in the, the Walking Tall ones are a prime example. It definitely started out as as revenge, one man's uh, mission against another that he believed was uh, that he believed was doing wrong and then became more of a, a street hero kind of thing. The Death Wish movies – I mean I think the – I mean, I don't, we don't want to talk about Death Wish too much, but those ones used a personal event as a catalyst, but then he had already sort of been established as a street vigilante to begin with. I mean, he had a reputation by the, by the third movie and is just allowed to, to run free. So I think there is that case of them skirting the line a little bit and then going full blown vigilante. But then what about the uh, one film I saw pop up on every single vigilante list was Ms. 45. And I'm like... Which is not a vigilante no, film. not at all. It's borderline a slasher movie because our hero, our main character, our point of view character, is a psychopath. She's literally killing anything with a penis. She's not killing criminals. So I don't understand how Ms. 45, which is a great film, but how that keeps showing up on vigilante movie lists and how so many people even call that a rape-revenge movie. No, it really isn't. She's the killer. She's the psychopath. She's the... She's the Pamela Voorhees, you know? She's not the good guy. It sort of starts as a, as a rape revenge movie. I mean, she gets raped like twice. Twice in um, one day, which I guess yeah, New York in she, early 80s. And at first she goes after questionable people. I mean, she goes after like 
obviously very sleazy photographers that are looking to, to, you know, rape their subjects and, and things like that. She does target people that, that genuinely seem to have it coming, but then she starts targeting, as you said, anything with a penis. It's, it's turns into a very extreme outlook of the situation. And, and by the end of it, you know, she shows up at that party and she's just fucking gunning down everybody, um, until she gets, uh, taken out herself. So I, I think that one is more of, it's a character study and a horror film in a lot of ways rather than a gun-toting revenge vigilante film because it, it really shows the, the depths that somebody can sink to and the problems that it can create when you decide to, to dedicate your life to, you know, roaming the streets with a gun and, and killing people that you deem to be unsavory. I, I think Miss 45 might be the most realistic depiction of one of these movies because you gotta figure going around killing people with a gun is gonna you up mentally you're eventually going to become disillusioned or at least most people will especially ones that that never served any any military time or never really knew how to use a gun or, or shot anyone before and never knew what that experience felt like like they might honestly become psychopaths themselves and get that that bloodlust going so miss 45 if anything is more more of a character study more of a cautionary tale more of a horror film it's it's definitely not a vigilante film it's almost a revenge film and and then it isn't and i I think that's why it's a brilliant film and it really subverts um the whole genre and does something very different with it but it's it's absolutely not a vigilante film what about something speaking of abel ferrara like his 1986 film gladiator where it's an anti-drunk driving movie where Ken Wall's brother gets killed by a drunk driver, so he decides that he's going to make a giant, like, car-crushing truck, and he goes out and kills drunk drivers. And you kind of go, okay, yeah, I guess technically a vigilante film, but kind of like Ms. 45, dude, you overcompensated a lot. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's just kind of coming up with, uh, an excuse for a vigilante movie or, or an idea that hasn't been done yet because obviously all vigilante films are some, they're a political message. I mean, let's face it. A lot of them are either very, I, I tend to not really care too much whether, whether or not the movie has a political message, but vigilante movies, they do. I mean, it's part of the, a lot of them are part of the eighties Reaganomics era. A lot of them are part of the, the economic ruin that New York was facing. And, and a lot of people were becoming pro government and pro-vigilant and very libertarian. So I think that's what the, the depiction of a lot of these movies are, is, is sort of, you know, law enforcement can't protect you, you have to protect yourself sort of thing. And obviously this one had an anti-drunk driving message. You know, there were a lot of people affected by things like that in their life. So Abel maybe decided, well, let's do a, a vigilante film akin to this this particular life event, you know, that this, what, what happens to people in terms of the event of a drunk driving case? Like what if we had a, a vigilante that goes after drunk drivers? Because why the hell not? So I'd, I'd say it's a vigilante film. It's just, it's just taking a, a different route with it, a different political route, because all of them do in a way, all of them have, they have some driving reason to become what they are. And it's usually because of an existing issue in society, like with, with uh, most vigilante movies, of course, it's the idea that the police can't help you, so you better become pro-gun. So in this case, it's people aren't going to be able to control themselves when they drive drunk, so you might as well go destroy the shit out of them. In a weird way, a lot of vigilante films 
are kind of right wing leaning. You know, they oh are, yeah, they, for they, sure. They're, they're definitely right wing power fantasies. I yet. think that's what it started as. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely where it came from. I think regardless of whether you like them or not, regardless of whether you're left wing or right wing, you you have to understand you're you're watching a pretty right wing subgenre because it is very like pro gun and pro stay stay vigilant and it's it's very much um idolizing a lot of them at least do you know the the armed forces because a lot of them are like vietnam veterans or ex-police officers or things like that so it's definitely a right-wing genre for sure but one of the things that i think a lot of vigilante films get wrong or at least based on my political and personal beliefs is they show the vigilante as the hero we will examine death wish a little bit here because there's a big difference between the death wish novel and the death wish movie in the bulk of vigilante films the vigilante ends up with no consequences no lasting consequences you know the law usually lets them go in a lot of cases like the, the cop will stop him at the end and be like nah they're doing good or like you know there's a line it's not a vigilante film but there's a line early on in, in uh, dirty harry where the scorpio killer has got everybody so scared prime is down like 40 percent in that neighborhood and, and mm-hmm. they're like maybe that's not a bad thing and it's like <laughs> yeah it kind of is still dude look at the Paul Kersey of even the first Death Wish movie to a little bit. They did examine this, but the novel Death Wish is about why vigilantism doesn't work and why it makes the vigilante a hollow, empty person at the end of the day. It was an anti-vigilante story. So when Michael Winner got it, he made it into a pro-vigilante. This is what needs to be done. Society is not going to protect us. You have to do it yourself. But he does Mm -hmm. examine that a little bit. Like, remember what happens after Paul takes out his first thug he He throws up up. he vomits yeah he i mean yes he eventually morphs into the almost cartoonish character that he would become but at first that's the a lot of us we've never killed somebody and Mm -hmm. i think if we did that we'd probably react the same way that's not the way the bulk of vigilante movies push it most of them are this is a man who's finally been pushed too far and he's gonna set things right and he usually does Mm. so that's a very right-wing power fantasy right there and i think that's something it, it, it both tapped into the zeitgeist of america at the time but also fed the zeitgeist at the same time. Every era has its its trend, and I think one of the biggest trends of that time was was vigilante films. And um, I mean, I don't really, I personally don't identify as right wing, but I can still enjoy them because I I happen to like vigilante characters just as a as an escapism sort of thing. I mean, obviously the the Punisher is one of my favorite characters. The Exterminator is one of my my favorite movies. The same with the the Death Wish series. So I I think you can still detach yourself from the political element and still enjoy it as still enjoy them as like um, satisfying action films is there not something more when the filmmaker puts an actual message in there for instance now i think the movie shits the bed a little bit in the final act i think the last 20 minutes are not as good as previous two hours but have you seen peter himes the star chamber yes yes i have that, that's the one with uh, Michael Douglas, right? Yeah, and yeah, and when Yafet Koto and all that. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. a great vigilante film that actually is trying to show how quickly shit can spin out of control. If people haven't yeah. seen it, because this is a relatively obscure one, Michael Douglas is a judge. He sees, you know, really, really bad people getting off on technicalities constantly, and he's fed up. So he's approached by a secret organization called the Star Chamber of judges mm-hmm. and police officers and things like that. Who 
who take the people who get off on technicalities and they deal with them. And he very quickly sees how far this goes off the rails when two guys are charged with raping and murdering a little black child, two white guys, mm. and everything looks like they did it. And he's he has no compunction about these guys need to pay and they got off on a technicality. But it turns out they didn't do it. But the Star Chamber's like, but they're still scum and they need to go. The Star Chamber's actually, it shows Michael Douglas's fall and attempted redemption. What the hell are we doing? Yeah, the Star Chamber is a really good one. I think more people need to check it out. I was actually surprised when I found out it was a lesser known film because I had seen it. No, did it? Oh. I've always really liked it. I saw it at a at a pretty young age, and it's one that I that I revisit. Um, it really is a great example of how it can go wrong, and how these like sort of it's a good depiction of like an extremist group of of vigilantes, which um I think is very it, it's some something that really relates to today, which we're we're getting a lot of things like that, a lot of extremist vigilante groups that had the the right idea at first and then go way too off the rails and start attacking everybody that they that they deem might be a scumbag in their uh, political agenda. So I think the Star Chamber is a really, really good, relevant one, a really, really interesting story. I've always really enjoyed that one. And and I think it's relevant. I think it's one that people people should check out, especially to to get a different side of the story. Because of course you have the hero vigilante films, and you have the ones that show much like Miss Forty Five where it can go wrong, especially with a with a group of people committing it. What about something like something more cartoonishly vigilante, like Savage Streets? Savage Streets mm. is a great film, but it's not. A, it doesn't take place in reality. I mean, I, I think you'll back me on that. It takes place in a in a weird. Um, it's a comic uh, book. It, it takes movie place in a cartoon, yeah. a cartoon parallel universe of the '80s, I would say, where everything is is even more '80s than you actually remember it being. But Savage Streets is great. Um, I've I've always really liked that one a lot. Linda Blair with a crossbow. Go fuck an iceberg. I mean, that's that's a great one. Go fuck an iceberg. <laughs> that one is. But Quigley's uh, rape scene is. And hard to sit through in that movie. That is too. really. That's probably the most gruesome scene in the whole movie. You you almost think that's going to set the tone for the whole thing, but then the rest of it is very very cartoonish. I do remember this was the first movie where we saw Linda Blair's boobs, and she was packing, man. A very extended shot of her in a in a bathtub, yes. uh, thinking introspectively. Yes, it's because that's uh, how you think the, it was during the montage of her like suiting up. That one is definitely more of a of a cartoonish depiction of the the whole vigilante justice thing. And even that one is more of a revenge film because she only goes after one primary gang who is targeting her specifically. And she's also in a, in a gang herself. Um, so it's almost more of like a, like a gang versus gang in a sense, almost like a warrior's knockoff rather than an actual death wish clone type thing. But, um, Savage Streets gets a gets a pass just because it's awesome. Well, what about when a movie, and I think correctly, shows that the vigilante is someone who's very, very mentally ill, like Taxi Driver. In Taxi Driver, mm. De Niro is not a good person. He is not a stable person. Yes, he's taking out scum, but in a way, he is too. So isn't it scum taking out scum? Well, yeah, because he's kind of, um, at least if, when you listen to his little monologues and stuff and his his diary entries, he he's sort of a bigot in a way. The, the, I mean, he doesn't. It doesn't seem like he has a real problem with these people, but he uses very derogatory terms, and it seems like he he hates pretty much everybody. 
he, he's, and it, I don't know, I don't know if he hates everybody in a, in a racial sense, but he seems to think 90% of the population is already scum because he deems them so. And then he goes on this, you know, the, the virtuistic crusade to, to save, save the hooker, uh, the little underage hooker who, I mean, it's, it almost seems like it was her choice to, to do it anyway, but he feels like he'll get uh, redemption if he saves her. At least he can use it as an excuse to go shoot up a bunch of people, which he, he ultimately does anyway because his whole idea to like he, like he was originally going to go kill that uh senator or whatever which that that didn't go well following that is when he decides to go save uh the underage jody foster hooker and he shoots up a bunch of people and then the newspaper and he shoots her uh, in the him, in the uh, neck. yeah he shoots a lot of people in the neck and then by the end of the movie he's considered a hero because he he busted this whole you know underage prostitution ring you know, but nobody knows knows him really personally. Nobody's seen his his diary entries. Nobody knows that he was gonna gun down a senator for some reason. Like it never really explains why he wants to kill. Is it Palantine? I think is the guy's name that he wants to the the senator who who he decides he's gonna shoot. Which I think is almost because that woman rejected him early in the movie. Because he took her to um, a hardcore porn on their first date. He's not stable, oh, yeah. man. The the character of of Travis Bickle is is definitely a a character that has archetypes of your typical vigilante character like obviously a lot has been borrowed from that movie for movies later on like the idea of the the vigilante who is a vietnam veteran and he who wears who still wears some of his old fatigues like the the m65 jacket that's like a staple in in vigilante cinema you know it would it's something that would show up again in the exterminator that was choice of attire in that film was a vietnam era american field jacket the, the olive green one but a lot of people i think don't remember that that the character of Travis Bickle, though he's not entirely a villain per se, he's he's not necessarily a stable person either. Not really evil or good, but he's in this strange in between that could go either way. He he does things that you can root for, like saving an, an underage hooker from total scumbags, sure. But he was also going to kill a senator for pretty much no reason, and also seems like a creep a, a lot of the time. And and this could be. It could be a commentary on what, what shell shock could do to you after the war. Like, like we don't know what happened to him when he was in the Vietnam War. Maybe he was normal before. Maybe it, uh, it destabilized him. Maybe he was a bit of a psycho to begin with. There's a lot of things that are in the dark, but there's no mistaking it when you rewatch the film that he's not entirely the hero. He, he's, he's definitely a morally ambiguous character who has his own motivations and a lot of them are gray area to, to flat out bleak. And I think that's what makes that one so interesting. Much like Miss 45, that one is, is very much a character study of somebody who, who loses himself in that lifestyle. I think along those lines, you even have something like Walking the Edge, an early Empire film where the main character, he's just a cab driver who gets drug into this whole thing. But then he doesn't necessarily go vigilante. It's not even revenge so much as he's just trying to survive, which is also another mm. aspect of this. You, you, maybe, they're, maybe the person's not trying to get revenge, but they're trying to get a goal. They have something mm. that they're working for. Like both Man on Fire films, both the Scott Glenn and the Denzel Washington films, he's just tearing up these organizations, but all he wants is to get the girl back. That's his, you know, mm. you kind of get the feeling if he saw a liquor store robbery happening while he was on his crusade, he wouldn't do anything about it. Mm. I don't know if I'd call either Man on Fire film a vigilante film, although they have a lot of aspects of one. Oh, they do. 
even the even the Scott Glenn one, it it borrows the the the, the familiar tropes that we were just discussing. You have a character wearing the Vietnam era war jacket, like he looks like a vigilante, and it would technically fall under the the vigilante prototype. But as as you said, if he saw a liquor store robbery going on, he likely wouldn't wouldn't stop it. Which is the same thing with like Machete. Machete is kind mm-hmm. of a vigilante movie, but at the same time, he's only trying to take down one person, and that's Robert De Niro. He's trying to take down the organization that betrayed him. Well, specifically more Robert a, De Niro. Yeah, it's it's a revenge. That's a revenge archetype. Uh, there, there's a lot of differences between the whole revenge thing and the vigilante thing. William Lustig's Vigilante is a vigilante film. But, by that, title that's, alone. That, I mean, yeah, and that's another good one that um, skirts the line of, of whether it's it's morally correct to become a vigilante or not. I mean, Robert Forrester's character goes through some serious shit in that movie. Maybe maybe more than most vigilante characters go through. I mean, he has his wife is assaulted, his child is murdered, the guy who does it gets off. He goes to prison for reacting. He's in jail for a while. You know, he he comes out and he joins uh, Fred Williams's. Fred Williamson's whole little vigilante crew and goes and dispenses some justice, but then he realizes that his his wife has become cold and, and distant, distant and doesn't even want him to react to this because, you know, as I think she tells him that his... Uh, these actions aren't going to bring their kid back. And then the the one thing that he has left is to go after the guy that that killed his kid. And it doesn't even feel like there's a catharsis at the end. The the guy um laughs and says he doesn't care about anything before Forrester kills him. That one's a very bleak depiction of it. It's it's almost in in the same sense as the as the Star Chamber is because it's about a more of a vigilante organization and one man that gets tied up into it rather than just one individual. It it shows the the repercussions and how it it can utterly destroy your life if if you get caught up in it. I, I think that one's a, a brilliant example of a uh, of a very of a very well done uh, vigilante film that looks at it from from every side. Of the situation, not just from the one vengeful person, but the the other people that want to dispense uh, vigilante justice, and what happens to the person who gets affected by by street crime and the courses they take to to try to gain revenge from it, and and just the the lack of catharsis at the end is just just adds to the overall like William Lustig bleakness of it. But that's a that's a great one. What about when you have in this case literally pulp kind of vigilante justice, like the shadow? You know, mm. the shadow character, and and of course, you know, by extension you have the 1994 film the shadow is almost the the prototype for the vigilante isn't he i mean go all the way back to the pulp stories from the early 1900s the shadow is the the template isn't he oh he absolutely is i mean that's that's a character that a lot of um authors and creators have even admitted to to ripping off that was um that was definitely one of the staples. I mean, you have a guy who's he's got the the secret identity. He's got the gun. He's super he rich. Covers he's his got, face. He, he's Batman. He is like I think the the shadow is one of the biggest biggest inspirations for characters like Batman. I'm sure other ones too. I'm sure without the shadow, a lot of these characters wouldn't exist. Because he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. I think we're we're due for a new shadow film too. I think we we need one that's better than the uh who's in who's in the the nineties Alec one? Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, we need someone better than Alec Baldwin. I, I think you can say I'm, that I'm about sure just about somebody, every Alec Baldwin. Somebody role. cooler could. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we could get a cooler shadow movie. Maybe even God, I could see someone like Josh Brolin. That'd be cool. I could see maybe that. Yeah. What about now? I, I know this is technically not vigilante because it's the CIA, but look at something like Sicario. You know, mm. you, you mentioned Josh Brolin. 
What about, like, Sicario? Now, obviously, we haven't seen Sicario 2 yet, because that's not out, but just the first Sicario, it really feels like a revenge film, and, and it technically is, because Del Toro is literally doing this to get revenge on the person who killed his family, but at the same time, hmm. they're very much acting like CIA vigilantes, because they're stopping every single crime they come across that happens to have cartel fingerprints on it. Is that not hmm. technically a vig? I mean, vigilante might not be the right term because they're technically sanctioned by the government, but that's literally done at gunpoint. Remember when Del Toro has the gun under Emily Blunt's face and he's like, if you don't sign it, you're committing suicide? And remember, Del Toro is our, quote, good guy in this? So they're technically <laughs> I, I mean, sanctioned, but not really. The vigilante films that are absolutely not vigilante films, like like Ms. 45, you got I Spit on Your Grave. That's not a vigilante no, film. No, it's not. But it shows up on film. every single one of the lists I looked at. It's not. That is rape revenge. That is not vigilante. To go to the influence on Tarantino, we talked about how Kill Bill is kind of. What about its biggest influence slash ripoff, Lady Snowblood? She mm. is working for a very specific goal in Lady Snowblood, but she's basically f***ing up anybody she comes across, too. Yes? No? Lady Snowblood? I would say skirts uh, skirts the line. Some of them just plain skirt the line. I think that one does. It's just kind of a, a more of a badass character doing badass things. I would say to stick with Tarantino, thriller or cruel picture. That, that, that's mm. the same thing. She's doing it for a specific reason, only trying to, to get the revenge on certain people. Again, I don't see the main character in Lady Snowblood or Thriller or anything stopping a liquor store robbery. No, no, it's definitely more of a goal. Um, it's, it's, uh, getting revenge for what happened to them specifically and then by the end of the movie we don't know if they continued their their vigilante justice we don't know if they decided to make this their life so it it really skirts more the line between vigilante but more revenge like i think there there are a lot of people who get that confused because well a lot of people aren't really us <laughs> or people that watch movies like we do the, the types that watch movies like we do which is having all these different subgenres for stuff like if i see a movie that's that claims to be vigilante and i'll notice it's more revenge like if it's just somebody going after one organization that wronged them and at the end they stop but, but vigilante is more They'll start out that way and then they'll continue. Like that's really more, more the difference. It's somebody who dedicates their whole life to doing that and not, not just stopping the big wigs, not just stopping big like mafioso bosses or, or crooked organizations, but they, you know, they foil liquor store robberies. They foil muggings. They do things like that. That's more in the tone of, of a, of a death wish or an exterminator or a film like that. Uh, Executioner Part Two is more of a more akin to that. Is you just have a guy out dispensing street justice. That's really more the archetype of that. And you could also call it that. You could either call it vigilante or street justice. It's it's sort of a street hero kind of idea. Are you thinking of that Gary Busey one, Eye of the Tiger, where he's the nom vet whose family gets killed by... You know what? I know it t doesn't take place in a post-apocalyptic. That gang's almost a post-apocalyptic roving Mad Max gang, isn't it? It is. It pretty much is. And, and he has a... Instead of spider sense, he has rape sense. <laughs> yes. He can sense that a rape is happening from, like, a town over. And you know what? I don't think that that was in the script. That's just Gary Busey. 
No, I think every Gary Busey movie is just somebody following him around with a camera and it's just whatever happens, happens. Like, like I think Hider in the House is really about Gary Busey hiding in someone's house. More ridiculous ones like that, but what about some of the, the more focused ones where, again, they're more revenge, but Drive Angry is almost a vigilante film. Because I, I don't know if uh, it is. Maybe? I, I'd say that's Drive Angry is just a straight up grindhouse style action film. Okay, then what about the Crow movies? Because, I mean, the Crow, he he is only going after certain people, but I think like with Kill Bill, he's going through all their minions, too, but he only yeah. wants... But, to be fair, in at least the first Crow, he didn't even know that Top Dollar was someone he was to be going after. So, no, in no. a way, after it does. after he takes out David Patrick Kelly, he's technically done. And if, if Top Dollar had just left him alone, he would have gone away. Yeah, I think so. That, that, the crow is definitely half revenge, half vigilante because he, he does become kind of a street hero throughout the film. Like he's, he's sort of this presence in the middle of the night and becomes more of a vigilante and he's kind of, it sort of feels like he's always there and you feel like he could, he could stop something and he does like interfere in, in like, in more minor things here and there. Like it's not just going after big time crooks. He, he does become like a dispenser of, uh, of street justice. I think, I think the crow counts as a vigilante film i think it does it, it feels like one what about just about every single sonny chiba movie because i mean okay <laughs> uh, you know the, the the street fighter stuff was it the street fighter or the bodyguard where he tears the rapist dick off that's the street w- fighter. was that street fighter okay because I, I watched yes. all of those back to back to back to back so some of the some of the plots m- mush together but yeah he rips a rapist's penis off and i think I, I'm, again, I'm just going off memory. Didn't he just kind of stumble upon that rape that, that wasn't like part yeah. of his scheme? It's just like, you know what? This pimp looking dude is raping this chick. Let's geld him. Yeah, I, I think it was just a circumstantial thing. I, I think most Sonny Chiba characters are just straight up badasses going around kicking the shit out of people. But again, Pete, just like with Gary Busey, I don't even know if that's not real. I think people just follow Sonny Chiba around in the 70s and that's what happened. Yeah, I, I think he was he was too badass to actually be an actor. I think that was just actually him. You got a real genuine um, hard motherfucker vibe from that guy. And The Street Fighter, again, it's it's another one that I don't know if i would even call it a vigilante film it's it's more like like a was it um why am i forgetting the name lady lady snow death lady snowblood lady snowblood it's it's more akin to something like that where it's just this cool character that's going around kicking people's asses and every now and then he like saves somebody i mean because the character Sonny Chiba plays in the Street Fighter is a fucking hitman to begin with. Like, he wasn't exactly a, a morally sound character. He just decides that he feels betrayed by whoever he was working for and that he just goes off and kills all of their minions. And anyone who gets in the way that's doing something he deems to be shitty, motherfucker's going to get his dick ripped off. Hey, it happens. It was the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Anything goes. What about when... It's less of a vigilante movie and more of a, I just want to be left alone, leave me alone movie, like, like Billy Jack. You know, Billy Jack. Billy Jack, Jack or maybe Blast Fighter. If you think about it, Billy Jack, he is trying to clean up the corruption in town. Mm. But at the same time, if you would just leave him alone, he'd go away. <laughs> you know? But, but the bad yeah. guy's gotta constantly prove, I got a bigger dick than you do. And, you keep getting, you know, I'm going to I'm going to lay my foot upon the side of your face and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah, Billy Jack is um I'd say I I would call it a, a street justice movie. 
you know, he's just kind of a, a badass, is kind of a hero to the people, and people uh, decide to keep messing with him for some reason. I mean, that's pretty much the that's that's the story for like every Chuck Norris movie essentially. He, he always plays the same character that just he's he's the quiet badass, but people keep picking on him, so he beats him up. Uh, and so I don't know if it's it's not really easy to call these vigilante movies, but I'd say something more like Fighting Back with Tom Skerritt from '82. That's a vigilante movie. Yeah, and that was also one with a message because th- that's another message. That's another that, one that was showing you- how Hall. I mean, look at how he alienated his entire family by getting more yeah. and more into his vigilante team. Mm-hmm. That film also has one of the most. I mean, it's. It's kind of mundane and they don't linger on it like an Eli Roth would. But the scene where his mother-in-law gets robbed and they can't get the ring off her finger so they snip her finger off with pinking shears. Oh my god. That is just so brutal, man. Oh, that was, I, I remember seeing that on cable in the 80s and going, oh god. That's, that's one that I think, uh, like I had only just discovered that one recently. I just watched it a few months back. And that's another really solid depiction of something like this. I think it even is based on a, I think it's based on a true story mildly. I, I think it's based on a novel. J- j- just think about what that one scene I just described plays out. These people are so callous. They will cut a woman's finger off to steal mm. her ring. Just to get some jewelry. Yeah. And you go, geez, you know, people like that, that's a good way to put the audience on your side. That yeah, even it's, if it's they get arrested, you root, yeah, even if they get it's arrested, a good way to make you root for Tom Skerritt. Even if they get arrested, they're going to do what, a year or two? She's still mm-hmm. missing her middle finger forever. Absolutely. I think that that movie did a, did both a good job of getting you on Tom Skerritt's side. And then putting you a little bit against him when he starts going a little too overboard. He gets caught up in the, the media. He becomes very political. He wants to run for office. You've got his, he got his family that's very alienated by the events. But that one is just, it's, it's great. I think that one goes into territory that most vigilante and street justice and revenge films won't. They'll, they'll, they'll show you the, the ugly side of not only the, the street gangs and the, the, the corruption on the streets, but they'll show you the corruption that can come with, with becoming a vigilante as well. Oh, I, I saw on a lot of lists a time to kill added to a vigilante movie. And I'm going, yes and no. The vigilante aspect, I mean, obviously it's the key that pushes the film along, but really is a time to kill a vigilante film? I mean, Samuel Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson does take the law into his own hands, but the movie also shows that he was right to do it and he gets off with absolutely no ill side effects from murdering two men and injuring a police officer because because the system didn't work. And in and, and this one, it's not even that they were getting off. They were just getting a lesser punishment than what he thought they deserved. And the movie mm. literally treats him like a hero. I don't think I've even seen this one. Um, Math, Matthew McConaughey's his lawyer. Uh, Patrick oh, McGowan. this is familiar. I think I saw this one like once. Kevin Spacey's the, the prosecutor. This sounds familiar. Sandra Bullock's in it. Donald Sutherland is in it. Kiefer, yeah, Kiefer yeah. Sutherland is in it, but he has no scenes with Donald. And he's a a clan goon, and he mm. he, he rapes. Uh, well, he might not rape her. I think he molests Sandra Bullock at one point. And uh, the judge is the prisoner himself, Patrick McGowan. It's actually yeah, a really was, good um... film. I, I you know what? I'm I'm probably gonna lose all my nerd street cred. Joel Schumacher directed it amazingly. How often do you get to say that? Well, Joel Schumacher's directed a lot of things amazingly. You know, you got, uh, you got Lost Boys, you got Falling Down. He's, he hasn't always been the Batman and Robin guy. Yeah, but there's also DC Cab. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> can't all be winners. You know, I love DC Cab. I just am saying it's not a well-directed movie. He's very um, weirdly inconsistent. He keeps trying to do different styles. But I, I vaguely remember a Time to Kill. I need to. I think I need to revisit it. But I think that one qualifies as a as a vigilante film to a degree. Uh, the only thing that angered me about a Time to Kill was the fact that the message it sends is that when you think the law doesn't work, taking the law into your own hands is the right thing to do. Because, like I said, not only does Samuel L. Jackson get away with it at the end, but there are no repercussions and he becomes a cult hero to the the state. Wow, that's a wrong message to send. <laughs> okay, how about something like Darkman? Okay, in the first Darkman, I don't consider that a vigilante movie because that's more revenge yeah that's a that's revenge, a revenge film. film he's just going after durant and while durant does show up again i think Darkman two and three are more vigilante films well yeah because he's become more of a street hero he's become kind of like a like a batman archetype so i i think the sequels at least work in favor of it being more vigilante justice whereas the, the first film usually with a superhero origin story it is more revenge it's they haven't quite become the full-fledged vigilante yet what about something like Wild Thing? Have you ever seen that one that's basically Tarzan in New York City from 86, 87, 88, somewhere around there? No, I, I don't think I have. Who's in that one? I, I don't think anybody big, but I do remember this movie. I remember seeing it, and it, it's literally Tarzan in New York City. It, it's, you know, huh. the, the kid is raised on the streets, and instead of by monkeys, he's raised by homeless people, and he's running God. around in a loincloth with a with a crossbow, killing gangsters and warehouses and stuff. I think Wild Thing, which is, you know, I won't say it's an underrated film, but it's a film where people should just be aware of. I think that's a vigilante mm. film in a strange way. Sounds like a really cool one. I need to check this one out. It's not cool on a quality level, but it's cool on a, wow, 80s level. <laughs> you know, wow, this is a late 80s film concept through and through. But then we got to talk about the ultimate vigilante character, and that would be the Punisher. Now, the mm. Punisher, if we're just going to talk films, I don't think has ever been captured right on film. And I, I don't even like the new TV series. I thought Daredevil Season 2 captured him fine. I thought his mm. solo show, I literally gave up after five episodes. I couldn't take how they were just destroying this character I grew up reading. Really? Yeah, yeah I, I, I like couldn't it. stand it. I look at, like, the 1989 film. I, it's not a Punisher movie to me. It, it's it's actually a good late 80s revenge vigilante film, but it's not a Punisher movie, no matter what they called it. The 2004 mm. Thomas Jane Punisher, he's dead on. Perfect casting. But that script was garbage. And <laughs> and, and and then the Punisher Warzone, Ray, Walt, Ray Stevenson, okay, but that movie was just ass. Okay, the Punisher is the archetype for what we think of as the modern, sort of over-the-top vigilante character. Even more than Paul mm. Kersey, I think more people would know Frank Castle than Paul Kersey. Why can't they get him right on film? Why Why are all the movies so goddamn bad? I don't know. I mean, I like all the Punisher movies. I feel like they all have some level of, of merit to them, and they're all really... Like, the first one, the, the Dolph Lundgren one, I think, is a solid vigilante film, even though they screwed up his backstory. He's not a cop. He's a vigilante vet. He's a Vietnam veteran. And the second one, they made him a cop again. FBI he's agent, He's a cop once again. Yeah, he's like an undercover cop that used to be a, a soldier. He was an ex... Ex-Marine, ex-Special Forces. Warzone seems like it's the only one where he was just a straight-up war hero. There was no police involvement in that one. He was a 
a he had become a, a special forces uh trainer he was like a a captain and then his, his family is murdered in a park they got everything everything about the the backstory and stuff was was spot on they actually i think followed the comics uh way more in warzone and i i really enjoyed that one i i think ray stevenson delivered a really really good performance of the character i loved uh, John Bernthal's portrayal definitely in, in Daredevil season two. I feel like that one, it, it felt more Punisher in a way because you, you had him more like on the beat. You know, he was like taking out like uh, a lot of sort of low level creeps as well as taking out big time gangs and obviously having uh, squabbles with Daredevil as well. There are two scenes in Daredevil season two that solidify the Punisher. One I don't like and one I do. The scene where mm. he was going to kill that Vietnam veteran on the roof if Daredevil, you know, if the guy had tried to come up onto the roof and you go, no, mm. that's not the Punisher. He, that's an innocent person. He would not have killed that guy. But John Bernthal's version was absolutely going to. But I think... Mm. The scene where he is getting his guns and stuff in the pawn shop and he just wants to be left alone, but that guy keeps bugging him. And then when he brings up that he's got child porn, it's like, all right, yeah. shit needs to go down now. Yeah, that was probably my favorite scene in the whole show. Really felt like something out of like a 70s vigilante movie. And I, I don't know. I really liked the show. I mean, it was kind of a, it was a different approach, but I feel like Bernthal really played it amazingly. I really liked the first episode where he's just going, going out, taking out like every gang in, in the most brutal ways of possible, brutal ways possible. And then you've got the last three episodes of him running and gunning and, and fighting with, um, Billy Russo. My only gripe with the TV show is that there wasn't enough Punisher on the beat. There wasn't enough of him on the streets and, and taking out, uh, petty, petty criminals and muggers and, and gangbangers and stuff. There was not nearly enough of that. It was just a lot of FBI, CIA intrigue kind of stuff that sort of bogged it down a bit. But overall, I really enjoyed his, uh, his take on the character. So what would you say to wrap up then? What is the reason that the vigilante film is so popular. Why does the Vigilante film still resonate in 2018? Now, like, we talked about why it, it grew to popularity in the 70s and in the early 80s. Why in 2018 is the Vigilante film still so strong? I think it's catharsis. I think it's um wanting to feel a level of catharsis. I mean, we've all been wronged in some way. We've all wanted justice for something. And I think it's a effective escape escapism i think uh the vigilante hero is an escape for a lot of people and some someone that's very easy to root for he's he's sort of the the homegrown hero he doesn't have powers he doesn't he doesn't belong to some super organization he's just a guy that decides to to take to the streets and take justice for himself and fight for the people i i think that's what makes him makes that kind of character not just him as the punisher or him as paul kersey but him as a character in general as an archetype what makes that character resonate with so many people is that idea that he's He's fighting for what's right and he'll do it in, in any means necessary because, you know, at least in the universe of, of that character or that film or that comic, nobody else can really help. But in a weird way, Charles Bronson has become the flashpoint for that. To quote Drexel in True Romance, motherfucker here thinks he's Charlie Bronson. <laughs> Marty, you know what we got here? Motherfucking Charlie Bronson. <laughs> Mr. Majestic. Look at you. <laughs> and I, 
I think there is a difference. Let, let's go back to Death Wish 2018 and Death Wish 1974. In 1974, people needed that catharsis. They needed yes. that. In 2018, especially with how racially divided this country is right now, the Eli Roth movie is just poking the wound going, ha, 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 look, look, we're being provocative. We're being provo- provocative now. It, it it doesn't work anymore. I think in this day and age, in the age of there are good people on both sides of, you know, neo-Nazis and things like that, I don't think the vigilante film works the way they mean it to anymore. No. Because now they're glorifying vigilante justice. And I'm going to get political here for just a second. We're at a state when it comes to guns in this country where, like, the new Death Wish movie is borderline gun porn. I know you haven't seen it yet, but it's borderline gun porn. I actually expected patriotic music to start playing underneath some of the scenes of all the gun porn in this movie. It is such a right-wing power fantasy that Mm. you go, we're so divided in this country right now in 2018, especially on guns. Think about all these Second Amendment people, you know, that I need my guns to to protect me from the government. It's like, so then that means you are willing to shoot police officers and soldiers, yet Mm. you're the patriot? (laughs) <laughs> that's the message that this new death wish movie sends, and i'm going kind of yeah no it's eli the, you're an asshole it's I think not the he, best uh not the best time to make a movie like that really i think he believes he's being edgy and provocative oh yeah he is know? and that's that's the absolute worst reason to, to make a movie like that well but then there's no there's no message behind it other than just like let's be provocative which i think you just described every eli roth movie yeah, pretty much. Because he is the most talentless filmmaker currently working in Hollywood. And yet he keeps failing upwards. But okay, I'll save my Eli Roth hate for another time. So, where can <laughs> we find Pete not being an American? And you know what? We really, really need a Canadian vigilante film. Yeah, I'm going to say that we right do. now. I, I can't think of, of many off the top of I'm my head. I think of a few shot in Canada, but they don't take place yeah. there. Plenty that are shot in Canada. Well, maybe I need to make it. Uh, you can find me potentially secretly making the first full-on Canadian vigilante film where a member of the armed Mountie forces quits his job to become a Canadian vigilante guy who wears a bear pelt on Twitter at Cinematica, on YouTube, The Cinemasochist, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com. I have a new video out. Watch it. Split seconds. Give me money. Well, you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can buy t-shirts and things. Peter has stuff there. I've got some t-shirts and all that, and it helps us. Or you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.